in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Well, it's another breakdown and takedown, continuing our saga of covering bank robbing movies, which no one asked for, but it's what I want to do and it's my show. We're going to be talking about the 1975 film Dog Day Afternoon, which is directed by Sidney Lumet and written by Frank Pearson. Joining me today is Jacqueline Moore. Jacqueline, do you want to say who you are and what you do? Hi. Yeah, I'm Jacqueline Moore. I'm a TV writer, showrunner, screenwriter, et cetera, et cetera. So what did you know about this movie before? Had you seen it? Yeah, I love this movie. I Though I hadn't seen it since before I transitioned. So it was interesting to watch now, sort of with the fear of so many, so much media that like I hadn't consumed 
since before I transitioned of like, oh no, does this hold up? Is this going to be like a disaster on trans issues that like, you know, I missed before or that I, you know, whatever. And then obviously, I, or I don't want to say obviously, but I was delighted and pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to give a little backstory. This is from a Collider article that we'll link with. But basically in New York on August 22nd, 1972, this guy, John Wadowitz and two friends attempted to rob the Chase Manhattan Bank in Brooklyn. His friends, Salvatore Natrali and Bobby Westenberg, they came in with shotguns. They slipped a teller a note that said, this is an offer you can't refuse because they had just seen The Godfather, which will be relevant in a second. They were, John himself was aligned with the Gay Activist Alliance. And in 1971, he had met and married Elizabeth Eden, who is a trans woman who wanted to undergo sex reassignment surgery. And so he basically, at a certain point in the robbery, which became a hostage situation, was like, I want them to deliver my wife here from Kings County Hospital. He says his name. And then he says, it's a guy, I'm gay, which is just has, there's so much. So they wanted to rob the bank to pay for the, the surgery. They thought that there would be a lot more money there. It turns out that they had emptied the money earlier in the day than they thought. So they ended up only getting $29,000, which is the equivalent of like $188,000 in 2021. But I think it was way less than what they thought they were going to get. And then later on in this article, they talk about how he, there's a, a journalist who says that he doesn't think that it actually was for the surgery, that it was something to do with paying back a mob family. But in this movie, it's all, you know, it's all basically to get the surgery, which is like revealed a little bit later. Do you know, what did you know about Elizabeth Eden? Honestly, I didn't know much about Elizabeth Eden beyond, you know, her as a character in this movie. Yeah, I, I was unfamiliar with her, like, as a real person beyond just, like, the real-life person that was married to John Wadowitz. Yeah. Jacqueline and I both watched the film itself, and then we watched a documentary about John. So I don't want to get too into it, but basically, I, I, I you know... It's interesting the way that you say it does hold up. I think it really does too. And no major star had ever played gay before. Pacino, like, it's so weirdly admirable to me that he took on this role, even though, like, by today's standards, it's sort of like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Chris Sarandon's character would be played by a trans woman today? Okay, so I watched this movie with my girlfriend, who's also a trans woman named Eleanor Jean, who's amazing. And the great irony, or not even irony, but beautiful moment was we were watching the movie and she realized that she had to dilate uh, <laughs> because she has had bottom surgery. And so we were lying in bed and she was dilating while we were watching a movie about someone robbing a bank to pay for bottom surgery. And it just felt like a very transsexual moment. And so that was really great. We talked a lot about whether the Chris Sarandon character would be played by a trans woman today. I've heard that in the that originally it was going to be played by a trans woman in the movie. I don't know if that's true. I heard that and then but then in watching the documentary, Chris Sarandon seems like weirdly perfect casting for pre-transition Elizabeth Eden that I can't imagine anyone else playing it. And I think that's where I landed at least was for this particular story, 
I mean, I think you could have a trans woman playing a pre-transition version of herself. I mean, that's certainly something we did on Queer Spoke with Jesse James Keitel, but like, I, I think this is a pretty spectacular performance. And I think Chris Sarandon's mannerisms are very studied, but not in a way where it's like Chris Sarandon studied. It doesn't feel like, it feels like the character is in that pre-transition, early transition, kind of like just in the cocoon or maybe starting to come out of the cocoon where like all mannerisms are very studied and femme and like, but there's still this leftover bits of the before time. I just, it felt, I felt like seen to my core by this performance, like in a way that was like very incredible. And I, I, I sort of expected to go in being like, this is offensive. I've instead walked out being like, obviously there's like misgendering. And yeah. at first I thought Pacino misgendering her felt really wrong. Then you watch the documentary and you realize that that is a very accurate portrayal of that person. I, right. I don't know. It feels loaded and messy in the way that like being a trans person in reality, certainly being a trans person in the 70s would have been loaded and messy and complicated. So I, I really, I really fuck with this performance. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of great. So I was reading more and it said that in the original script, they were supposed to kiss. Uh, we'll get into later who he actually kisses, but he, Pacino was like, I don't think that I should kiss him because I feel like it's exploitative. And he was saying that the script kept, kept pushing the gay issue and he just wanted to focus on that it was a failure of a relationship. and then the actual writer was like, oh yeah, they didn't actually kiss. So they let's just keep it to the phone conversation they already had. And then I guess the National Gay Task Force approved of the script and said it was sensitive and tasteful. And I kind of agree. I think it would have taken away from it or it would have been like the most salacious thing about it or whatever when it came out. So I understand. But in the documentary, we do find out that he does kiss someone in in all of the media heyday of what's media like melee of what's going on. There also were a lot of lawsuits. His wife and kids sue. They make a little bit of money. Wadowitz sues, sues the studio. Basically, there's all kinds of stu- like suing going on. And then some of the money goes into escrow to pay for the victims of the robbery. So there's all kinds of like back-end suing stuff going on <laughs> when by the time like the movie's out or whatever, which, you know, you can talk about the using of real people and exploitation of trauma and whatever. But yeah, I mean, we'll get, they'll get into that in the documentary. But so basically, to get into the movie itself, it shows, you know, New York City hustling and bustling. Amarina by Elton John is on the radio. We come into a young Pacino who is coming off The Godfather in 1972. So he's like never been bigger. And this movie is in 1975. So, I mean, it's just kind of a wild career move. Like you and I were talking about this on the WJ picket line about how he comes off being like so famous and does like this. And then in 1980 does cruising, which is also a gay movie, like wild choices. You know, at the very least, Al is an ally and we appreciate it. But yeah, they are wild choices and they're wild choices at a time when that was not only not done by stars, but kind of wasn't, it's not like there was like a wild amount of like, mainstream gay movies or studio gay movies the idea that like not only 
idea that there are two studio gay movies and Al Pacino starred in both of them <laughs> is like pretty notable, especially at, I think you're right to say, the height of his fame and celebrity. Like this is when he has the most like capital in the industry probably. Yeah. He's five, six. He's a short king. We see, we see that throughout the whole thing. So they're going into Brooklyn Savings Bank. It's a guy named Stevie, Sonny, and Sal. They change Bobby's name or whatever. And basically everyone is frantic. Stevie runs. He doesn't want to be a part of it. He leaves, which is true to what happened. They go get the money. It's only $1,100, which I guess they wanted it to be like really not a lot of money in the in the film. He knows a lot about banks. So he's making sure they don't trip the wires. He's getting traveler's checks. He's burning the register or whatever for the bank. I'm not really sure why. And then the smoke alerts the insurance guy from across the street and he comes over and I guess that's who they think alerted the police. There's a lot of really amazing lines that he has, including I'm a Catholic and I don't want to hurt anybody. And then the girls are like nervous to give him the money. And he's like, you know, the bank sends you a dozen roses after you're robbed. It's so incredible. And I think also captures this thing that was, I mean, granted, neither of us were alive in the 70s, but I remember being on on a TV show and one of the writers on the show telling a story about being on a plane that was hijacked and taken to Cuba, which was like, a, but that was like a thing that was happening in the 70s and 80s, like far more frequently and like not thought of as the way necessarily. And like he, when he was talking about it, he was talking about it as though it was this like fun, kind of like weird, scary, but like just that kind of weird experience that he had. And like, I feel like this movie captures that vibe of like the, the women are scared at the bank. But there's also this sense of pretty quickly it settles into this sense of like, this is kind of exciting, but like also traumatic. But like, it's kind of a camp in or a a lock in too. like, it's like a very, it feels like a very specific and like well-observed tone. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It reminds me of like that people thought hijacking was just kind of a thing that happened. Yeah. He gets a call and it's the cops, basically. And they're making everything worse. The cops arrive, the FBI, the press, like everyone arrives. They're drawing a huge crowd. I mean, at a certain point, like the whole city is like blocked off for what's going on. I couldn't really understand what, like, it's just like, oh, we're going to make this a huge media circus immediately. There's like 250 cops outside in like immediately. Yeah, it's such an incredible, like as a movie, what an incredible piece of filmmaking too. That the first time you know the cops are even involved is this great reveal where the bank manager has been like getting, uh, they do this really smart thing where the bank manager keeps getting phone calls and they keep telling him to answer the phone so as to not like arouse, uh, like arise suspicion. And the phone rings and they tell him to answer the phone and they like go on to another conversation and the bank manager says, it's for you, which is like such a incredible like pit in the stomach moment in a movie. And like that moment where he picks up the phone and the first thing, it's like the first time we, we hear the cop talking to him before we've seen any sign of a cop. And it is such an incredible like P- work of POV in a movie too. Like you're so with Pacino in that moment. It's just incredible. It's so such good filmmaking. 
It really is. Charles Durning plays Moretti, the cop. He's really good in it. And then I didn't realize this movie was so funny. Like it's played like all the descriptions of it are like a drama, but it's so it's such a funny movie. The bank managers are like berating him. Carol Kane is one of the girls and she's like her husband calls. And she's like, oh, he said he wants to know what time you'll be through. And like, there's this through line of her husband, like not knowing what to do without her, which is so funny. And like, I didn't realize that it was like a funny movie. At one point he says, I didn't realize at one point, like Pacino's character says, oh, girly, please. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. It's so good. And it's, it is really funny. It's a reminder to, it's a very, it's funny in a very New York way. There's, like, it's very, the people you meet on the street of New York, day-to-day life, like, the sort of, like, blasé attitude towards, like, absurd things that are happening all around you in New York is so captured by this movie and by the attitude of, like, Carol Kane asking what time she'll be through as the bank robbery is going on just feels so spot on like a new like and that's the thing too is so much of this is real like so much of like the inner the writer did so many interviews with the real people apparently and that comes across and especially watching the documentary and seeing the casting on this movie is incredible like it's so spot on in a way that it's just it's a really it's really remarkable but it's so funny and the showmanship of Pacino is like incredible. Well, even, I mean, John Cazale, I think Cazale plays Sal and he's older than Sal actually was, but they wanted him to be in it because he and Pacino had just been in The Godfather together. So yeah, I think it's Cazale. Cazale. But he, I think so, John Cazale, but he is incredible and like also is, so he's a brilliant actor, has one of the all-time craziest, incredible runs of a career before he tragically dies of. I believe cancer very young, but he's only in, I believe five movies in his entire career. And it's the Godfather, this, the Godfather part two, the deer hunter, and maybe one other movie, but that's it. Like, wow. He's in Godfather three, like posthumously, but he's only in like five movies and they're all like all time bangers. And this, this is such an also like, it's the kind of performance that feels like it could really easily like become the thing of bad network TV drama of like, I'm a killer, but I'm kind of quiet. And, and you know what? And it just, there's a great scene not to jump too far ahead, but there's a great scene with him and the head teller talking about smoking cigarettes and him kind of revealing how religious he is. That is it feels like in a lesser movie, it's like, ooh, isn't that fucked up that the killer is like kind of religious? And in this movie, it's like, no, this is a really kind of sweet, a sweet man who's like in very deep and is complicated. And I think that's the empathy this movie has for all of its characters, save some of the cops, which I think is also very interesting, the way how modern this movie's depiction and portrayal of police is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know. You've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen, I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like ugh, like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies. It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the guard starts to have asthma. And basically, in terms of the cops, Pacino does not trust them and does not like them. And he says, they'll shoot you, you know. And if it weren't for the TVs, they'd kill us all. And Howard is black and he lets him go. And the cops almost kill him because they think he's the bank robber. And there's this great scene where they're like, stop, 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 because they release him. And then the cops immediately start to like take him down. And it's like, wow, that's really accurate for the time period and really shows like what what would actually happen. Totally. And it's interesting that the only, sorry, it's interesting that the only cop that we have any empathy for as an audience and that Pacino even has slight empathy for is Durning, Charles Durning's character and, or Durning's character. And he is the only cop of all of them who is constantly his whole bit basically is he is criticizing the other cops he's working with. And like, that's the, like, he's the one that's yelling at the cops and he's the one that's, you know, he's a negotiator. That's what he's supposed to do. But it, it's just interesting that where the movie's sort of like idea of likability and relatability lies is like the cop who hates the other cops and is like constantly criticizing the other cops is the only one that we're like, he's kind of okay. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he he gives such a good performance and, and we get to, I'll get to later how he interacts with Chris Sarandon, but yeah, really good. Sonny's an idiot and gives his own name. The TV people want to talk to him. He's like getting famous. He has another line. He comes outside to talk to the cops and he, the cops are like, we're not going to do anything bad to you or whatever. And he goes, kiss me, man. And they're like, what? And he's like, when I'm being fucked, I like to get kissed a lot, which is so fucking funny. <laughs> So good. He starts screaming Attica. The onlookers are like cheering. And this is like representative of, he's like talking about the Attica prison riots where a bunch of people were killed. Some of them just bystanders. And so he's like, the cops are bad. The cops are bad. His family starts watching on TV. They're like vaguely amused. In real life, his mother was like a huge part of it. And we see her later. 
Then the cop calls. Then he start. He wants to let the bank manager go. But the bank manager's like, no, these are my girls. I'm not going to let them stay here by themselves because it's mostly women that he's with. And then they start getting excited to be interviewed, which is so funny. So incredible. It's so funny. It's so, it's also important that at this point in the movie, we don't know that Pacino's gay or queer in any way. And so like when Pacino says like, kiss me, man, I like to be fucked when I'm getting kissed. It like works as a funny joke in that first scene. And like, it just like, this movie is so well made and so well written, like in the way that, that that is foreshadowing, but you would never know it's foreshadowing as you're watching it. Also interesting is like, we very pointedly like meet his wife during this section, his first wife. And so at a point when he starts to ask for his wife, we are expecting the woman we have seen with his children. There's just like a lot of really, really smart, just like br- kind of brilliant pieces of writing that I I like want to call out as as just like kind of master. Like watching it last night so much, it was just like, this is a masterpiece. This is so... So well made. And it's Frank Pearson was the writer and Sidney Lumet was the director, which the best. Yeah. So then the TV people call and Pacino talks about how he can't get a job. He's not paid enough. Do you know what prison is like? He keeps asking the TV people, how much do you make a week? Which is like such good commentary and shows us like his position in the world in terms of like being able to make money. Yeah. And the income inequality moment there where he says, do you know how much a bank teller makes? 150 a week. And the girls who are his hostages start kind of like, basically like snapping and like, yesing him being like, that's true. Yes, it really is. And it's this, there is this real, there's this real income inequality, class warfare edge to this movie that feels so real. Which is why people are cheering him on at first. Like the the crowd cheering him on. They're like, this is a guy who's fighting the power. This is a guy who's like, you know, showing the cops what's what. And like all the people in the crowd, which is like, it starts to draw this massive crowd to watch this hostage situation. And the crowd is like on his side. Yeah, 100%, which feels, I don't know. It's just like, I mean, one, it, I guess, you know, it's based on a true story, so it is real. But it it just feels still so relevant and real like it feel watching it it this is a movie i mean so many of those movies from new hollywood in the 70s still feel so modern in so many ways but i feel like this one feels just wildly current to our like this exact political moment that we are in in such insane ways i know so he's outside sal says we promise either we get away clean or we kill ourselves so that's a dramatic little bit Pacino's frantic. Maria's boyfriend, one of the girl's boyfriend, tries to fight Sonny. And they're like, there's like a line where they say, you know how the Spanish are, which is like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Then his female wife, that's what he calls her, has this incredible monologue about how he treats her, which is so good. Incredible. Such a good performance. Yeah. She's just on the phone having this one-sided thing. And she's talking about their history and how he's kind of volatile. So we're getting a sense now that he's like not this great guy, which is like a really interesting look because we've been rooting for him thus far. And then the cops try to fire through a back window and basically escalate everything, make everything worse. And then he asks on the phone for pizza and Cokes and aspirin. 
which is so funny. So funny. Aspirin for one of the tellers who is getting, is like feeling sick, basically. Yeah. So he kind of, it starts to be that he's like taking care of all of them and he feels very stressed out that he's taking care of all of these people and trying to rob this bank and has this hostage situation. Like, and he feels very responsible for them. And it's like this very comedic back and forth. He also gets money and then starts throwing the money around. And there's like a great shot from the sky. And the pizza guy is sort of saying like, hey, like you don't have to pay for the food or whatever. And he's like, no, no, no. Where are the marked fives? I'm going to pay for the food. I'm going to pay for the food. And then the pizza guy is like, I'm a fucking star. It's such a good, it, oh, it's so good. These are my, my favorite. It's like a bad movie. It's the only mo. It's the only like shot in the movie. So first there is this beautiful like helicopter shot of him throwing the money. And then there's this moment where it's like, if you try to throw a bunch of bills, they're not going to go very far. And so Pacino keeps throwing the bills. And it's it's the one bit of like, this is all we could do, is they cut from Pacino throwing the bills to like very far away, the money floating down. And like in the crowd, and the crowd going nuts for the money. But it is such a, it is the one moment of like, look, sometimes when you're making a movie, you just have to be like, Look, the bills flew further than they would in real life. And it doesn't make any sense and it looks fake, but we we know what's happening and I love it. And that's the crowd is in a frenzy. They love him. Yeah, they love him. So then there's a little scene that's really cute of him teaching Miriam army stuff with the gun because he's a Vietnam vet. So he's teaching one of the tellers how to like hold the gun or whatever. So she's like literally holding the gun and they're still standing there. Yes, it's again, such a smart like, you come up in that scene and she has the gun in her hands and you're and like doing these like army drills with it, like the kicking the gun and the saluting and all that stuff. And then he takes it and shows her how to do it and then hands it back to her. And it is just this like really smart way of being like, this guy doesn't want to hurt any of these people. But then we're hearing from both Angie, his, his, as he says, female wife. And then I think this is around the time, right? When Leon shows up. Leon is the is Eden's name in the movie. Yes, so she's about to show up. So we're an hour in and we finally see Pacino's real wife, male wife. So they bring his wife and it's Chris Sarandon and he's in a bathrobe because he just came from Bellevue, which is like a mental institution. And they he's like, this is his wife. They were married in a church. And then Leon faints. And then the the cops are like, he's a queer And so that's like the reveal, but it's not really played as like funny reveal. No, it's played so matter of factly. And like, I just want to say like, obviously like there's going to be some weird gender like usage in this in terms of like pronouns and character names. And that's because of how the characters are named and referred in the movie. Like just to like... (laughs) as two trans people talking about this, like, you know, the real person is, you know, the person that is Elizabeth Eden, who, but at the time that, you know, in the documentary, there are interviews with her. It seems like she used certain pronouns interchangeably until she had her sex change operation, which I think also speaks to maybe a different view of gender in the 70s and like what it, what those pronouns meant at different times and and whatever. But so I just want to like kind of give a, a blanket, like in the movie, this character's name is Leon and is often referred to with male pronouns. It is a, 
I would say the be- most charitable sort of description is this is a a semi pre transition woman, though certainly by modern standards, just a trans woman, like an actor playing a trans woman, an early transition woman. Yeah. So she has painted nails and she says, he's been trying to kill me since June. So this is now we're getting a sense that Pacino's character actually is crazy and violent. And they say, why didn't he go to the cops? And Leon's like, it would make him mad. Also, like, you think this gay man can go to the cops about this other gay man? Like, I was like, has this cop never seen domestic violence before? Like, what are you talking about? I, but which is so good though, because that scene about like, where it's like, I think it's, it's the Charles Durian character interviewing Leon and then a bunch of cops behind Yes, Leon. yes, yes. It's like the cops behind Leon are being pieces of shit and are kind of laughing and giggling. But, you know, Moretti is saying very seriously and, and like just like being totally matter of fact and like very respectful. And, and I think the movie's POV is like super clear in this scene too, that when Leon says, you know, what would they do? Why would I go to the cops? Like, what would they do? It's just like one of those things where like the, mo- like, the movie is agreeing with her. The movie is agreeing with her. It's like so obvious that it's like, this is the situation that she was in. And it's just, it's so, it's, that's why it's like that this was made in the seventies and this, even with the, the gendering, you know, I would say misgendering, but it feels more complicated than misgendering though, certainly by modern standards. In some ways, this movie feels more respectful of trans people than so much trans representation today that it is wild. Like, I know. Truly crazy. He gets a diagnosis of, you know, goes to a psychiatrist. I thought it would help me, but it didn't. I was so confused. I was doing insane things. He is, Chris Sarandon is doing that thing that get that, like holding the the bathrobe closed in a very gay way that some, uh, somehow TV and movies always have gay men holding their bathrobes like that. I don't know why. It's true. Like high in the chest. Yeah. It's like always this, it, like notice it's this affectation that they put on gay guys or there's like a thing where the director is saying to and the writer is saying to Chris Sarandon give it more Queen's Housewife and less Blanche Dubois like give it give it more like realism as like a wife portrayal so I actually that really does come through I was gonna say I think it totally comes what the performance feels the most to me is like and why it feels so smart and Look, as as a, as a trans woman, you do look around at the women in your life as you're, you know, figuring yourself out and beginning, like, beginning to move through the world as a woman. And you have, you do pick up affectations from the people around you. And that's the thing that feels so well observed about this performance is like, if you were a trans woman in New York in the 70s, like in Brooklyn or Queens, like... Leon feels like the girls from the neighborhood, like feels not that far of a cry from Pacino's other wife in the movie. Like it's a really, and it's a really respectful, it's not played for comedy at all. It is played so straightforward and matter of fact, and just like very femme, even the bathrobe clutching, which is often like a gay affect to me often in this movie feels like, you know, the cops interviewing a witness, like a woman in her dressing gown who has like seen something through her window. Like it just feels very, I, I'm, 
I was sort of in awe of how respectful and profoundly good Chris Sarandon's performance is. Because um, I was, I will be real, I had my knives out for this performance when it started, where I was like, all right, what is it? And I was, both Eleanor and I kept turning to each other being like, is this like an incredible, like, is it, this feels incredible. <laughs> like, how is this, how does this exist? So he says, I went to a psychiatrist who told me I was a woman trapped in a man's body. Cops, some cops do snicker, but I was looking behind and most of them don't, which is very interesting. A sex change operation at the time cost $2,500. That's how they, that's why they have them only getting $1,000, $1,100 in the bank. So it's clearly not enough. She talks about how she tried to kill herself. And then the cops are like, oh, wow. So he's sort of doing this for you. Then you get the reveal. I mean, we know that they they got married in a church, but we get the reveal that they got married. There were seven bridesmaids, all male, all gay community was there. Like it was like a big wedding. We see Leon in a gown, beautiful. Sonny's mother attended the wedding and there was like some support. You know, the LGBTQ community is now like so, some people are were supporting the wedding. Some people were saying that it was a farce and a show of exhibitionism. And the, the the divide between the queer community is so accurate. It is so real that these, I like was shocked how well, like, I don't know Frank Pearson's life. I don't know if Frank Pearson is gay. I will say that Frank Pearson did also write the Barbara Streisand Star is Born. So maybe. That's a little fun Easter egg because they show a marquee in the beginning that's playing a Star is oh, Born. Oh, Star is Born. Yes. It is. That is such a, I'm going to keep saying the, the phrase well-observed, but like that, the moment that came out where it's like many in the gay community, you know, have rallied around this while others called it an act of sheer exhibitionism is just the most accurate to every queer issue ever that instantly you would have a group of, a group of respectability queers <laughs> being like, not me, the Blair Whites of their day. Exactly. Oh, he also wrote for Mad Men. That's interesting. Anyway, so the news is saying two homosexuals are holding hostages. And then Pacino says, it doesn't matter. It's just a freak show to them. It doesn't matter because Sal starts to be like, stop. They shouldn't say two homosexuals. And then eventually he's like talking to the cops and he says like, stop saying there's two homosexuals in here, <laughs> which like that's Sal's problem with it. That's his problem with it. Yeah, Sal doesn't want to be gay. Okay, so funny because of the documentary that later comes out. But anyway, so the lights go out in the bank and then Moretti, who's been working with, is gone. And now there's an FBI agent named Sheldon who is a lot less fun. There is this weird moment where he holds up a fist to the crowd kind of subtly in the corner of the shot. And I Google, I Googled it to be like, what is he doing? And it seems like it's people think it's a power fist, but then people also think that maybe he was doing a cat paw to be like rare. I don't know. There was some like people on the internet talking about what that actually means and there was no consensus to it. Well, I definitely think one of the things that I do find interesting is that the way the crowd changes when they find out he's gay. Gay guys. Yeah, well, because at first when they find out he's gay, when he frisks, I think he frisks like Moretti at some point and people start kind of like making fun of him in sort of a homophobic way. And one of my favorite details is that Pacino is unbothered by it. Like, there's... it. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible. And the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Yeah, does not change anything about, and to the point where I think actually the moment, by the time the like, fist in the corner of the frame slash maybe cat paw, whatever that moment is. Um, there's like a mix of heckling and support from like at that point, there's like gay community, some trans folks out cheering and then other people are booing the cheering and like Pacino is just like still reveling in the crowd that is supporting and sort of paying no mind. And I just, I was really, I, I, I was just really struck by how, matter of fact, and how comfortable it feels like this is going to be the story of somebody who's on the DL when we initially reveal the queerness. He's super out and open and like everybody involved, including his first wife, like knows about all of this at this point. Like he's like openly bisexual, I would say. Yeah, I would definitely, I would agree with that. Yeah. 
there's like a trans woman in the crowd. The some of the crowd is scream, screaming like he's a queer or whatever. But like, okay, he like really is, as you say, unbothered. Yeah, it's really great. Like he says he's not going to sell out Sal, which there's some question on if he did do this IRL, which we'll get to. But then Mulvaney is like has a diabetic like fit and he needs to get a doctor for him. Then he's talking to Leon on the phone and he's saying everybody needs money. And it's sort of really funny because it just seems like the most normal toxic couple conversation I've ever heard. Like, it's just so it's just like, oh, you know, this couple, they're incredibly toxic. He's saying he's going to get a plane, get all the hostages on the plane. They're going to drop. They're going to fly to Algeria and then they're going to let the hostages go. And he's like saying that he's going to go to Algeria and they got a Howard Johnson's there, which is so funny. Leon is like, they got masks on, they got things out of their heads, they're insane. And he's talking about Muslims, which, okay, we're not doing great with like xenophobia here in this film. Yeah, 70s New York accurately portrayed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then earlier he had said to Sal, what country do you want to go to? And Sal says, Wyoming. And then he's like, Wyoming is in the United States. And Sal's like, oh, oops. And like later I read some stuff that implied that that was improvised by John Cazale, which is so funny. Later, so Pacino's talking to Leon on the phone and he's like, see, I'm with a guy who don't know where Wyoming is. You think you got problems? It's so, that scene between them is maybe my favorite scene in the movie. The scene, the phone, the fact that so much good, so much good character, drama, performances are on the phone in this movie is incredible. And the Leon sunny scene on the phone at this point where they are very toxic. It is like, I've been trying to get away from you. I, oh, now I'm going to come to Algeria with you. I've been trying to get away from you. And then was like, why did you pick Algeria? Why not Sweden? Why not whatever? And she was like, oh, would that have made a difference? And there's a moment where like, you can kind of see Leon being like, maybe it would have made a difference. Like, like it's just there. It feels very, I actually really love the detail that Pacino says they kept trying to push the gay issue. And he wanted it to be more matter of fact. And I actually think that's the superpower of this movie is that this couple feels like trans women dating cis men that I have known, where it's just like they are toxic in the same way that like straight cis couples are, cis straight couples can be toxic. And it just feels so, I I love I cannot recommend this enough. Like this performance and Leon in this scene feels like just like, yeah, this is the aggrieved wife. And even a good depiction of being in an, I want to talk a little bit about abuse because both Leon and Angie, the first wife, sort of detail abuse allegations against Sonny. Um, Two various people and two Sonny on their phone calls. I think some, all right, I want to be careful. I'm not saying like, we should take abuse very seriously. But I think sometimes there's a tendency in the social mediafication of our world now to be like, that's abuse. You get away from him. Like, are you like, don't be dumb. Like, don't be a pushover. Don't be whatever. Like, you know, and I think this movie, like, I'm not saying like, and therefore abuse is okay. It's awful and it shouldn't be tolerated. But I think this movie has a very pragmatic and realistic depiction of what it is to be in an abusive relationship with an abuser. And that's that it's not always abusive. It's also like, 
which isn't to say it's okay, but it's to say that like this movie is realistically portraying like both Liam and Angie clearly have love for Sonny while also being scared of him often. And Sonny is capable of abuse, but is often also very sweet and prone to big gesture. And I think that's what keeps you there. Like we often, I think in our world, want to portray people who commit abuse as pure monsters. Which would make it easier to get away from them, wouldn't it? A hundred percent. I think what actually is realistic is that like, the people who commit abuse look like the nice people in your life. And like abuse is not like, it's people aren't like abusive people as a type of person. Abuse is a thing that otherwise good people do. Like otherwise nice seeming people do. And like this movie feels so spot on laser focused on that, that like Sonny is both a really sweet and kind person. We see that even the way he treats the people in the bank. But also, there's no part of us that doesn't believe Angie and Leon that he is abusive. And I think that's such a, a realistic and, and, again, nuanced and well-observed reality that I actually think if you made this movie today, people would be like, is he, does it seem like we're saying he's too likable to have done this? When it's like, no, we're saying that both are true. Yeah, and that he, that's how they, you know, he clearly loved, love-bombed them both to get them in. So... I agree. Like, that's why they're staying because there's good and and bad. And like, it's just, you know, once you're in that cycle, you're in that cycle. I think there's a great line around like that kind of goes with this where, you know, Leon is saying you always say you're dying. You're not dying. You're killing people around you emotionally. So, yeah, so good and so accurate. The that dynamic. I I don't want to get too ahead of the where the documentary goes, but meeting this the real version of this person, I feel like actually clarified even more of this. That like this idea of both, you know what it is? I think it's the idea of like you said something, you're like, he clearly love bombed them both to get them in, which is so clear from the documentary, also that that is what this person was doing. But I think it's also interesting that this movie seems very aware that like part of the love bombing or what we would call love bombing now is like authentic love from this person. Just like, like, like manipulative, manipulatively deployed. And that is so clear in this movie that like, I have no doubt in my mind that Sonny does love Leon and Sonny does love Angie and is a manipulative, abusive person. (laughs) Exactly. The wife has another monologue about his abuse. And like, she later is upset that she's portrayed as sort of like, that like her being fat is like sort of played for laughs. She thinks the real, the real woman. Oh, I totally don't think it's played for laughs personally. She just didn't like her portrayal, I think. And then, and I think like, I think I wrote fat versus a bank robber. Like it's sort of seen like, oh, these are like, she laments what she looks like and stuff. And it's like, well, he's robbing a bank. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's comparable guys. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting though, is that even felt very true to me in like the way that, I don't know, the idea of insecurity deep in a relationship. Like, I don't think her fatness, and personally, I don't think it's played for a joke. I think it's played, I think it feels very real and very like an abuse victim, one, being like, I know I let myself get fat. And one of the things that I think is so interesting is that his response is, don't call yourself fat. Like, you're not fat. Which like, I just think is like, I like, as an insecure woman, I certainly am prone to negative self-talk. 
And like, I, it just, I, I feel like there isn't so much of a value judgment placed on a lot of these things in the movie. It, it feels very, it feels very documentary in a lot of ways. Like it feels very, these conversations feel like pieces of conversations, but they feel very like really had conversations. And that was one that felt like, oh, I've had that conversation where I've been like, I've, I'm so fat, right? You know, like I will say, like I had a <laughs> full disclosure for people like who listen to this. And if they look at my Instagram or something, like I had like liposuction and a BBL and like my body shape is very different now than it used to be. And I like definitely talked about my body shape differently and still, you know, negative self-talk is like a real thing. And that just, I related so deeply to that, like being in a relationship and being like, I'm sorry, like if I gotten fat, like whatever. And the other person who's being shitty, being like, don't say that. And I'm like, ah, he's saying, don't say that, but I'm still mad at him. And like, it just, it felt like such a, all of these felt like real conversations and real relationships. Definitely. I don't know. I think taking the value judgment out of that, like, I don't, I think hopefully today they would sort of, I mean, I don't know how, but I think there was a lot of like anti-fat bias that, you know, like it's not a value judgment. It's just a look, but yeah. So then the queers are cheering him on the street. His mother, who's like a classic Italian ethnic mother, comes down to beg him to not do this. Perfect casting. Absolutely perfect. The most perfect casting in the movie. She was like working with him on a play or something. And he asked that she she play his mother, the actress. So he, Trichino had a hand in that. Then he's dictating his will to the bank manager. And he says, to my darling wife, Leon, who I have loved more than a man has loved another man for all eternity. And he's leaving stuff to him. And th- nobody's laughing. Nobody laughs. No. It's, it's no. played. Totally played. Exactly real. Yeah. It's very profound. And it's profound to see. And we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about this more with the documentary. But like, it is profound to see how. Honestly, other than like a slight snicker. like. Leon is taken very seriously by this movie. Their love is taken very seriously by this movie in a way that truly it has gotten significantly worse since. I mean, great. Like, I remember like, I mean, Ace Ventura was after this. The scene in Californication where the guy like vomits because, or whatever, like freaks out, like because he got a blowjob from a trans woman. Like there's like, that was all after this. You know what I mean? Yeah, Nip Tuck's whole trans season was after this, yeah. So, I don't know. It's It treats, for all its problems with race and, and some sort of, you know, anti-fatness in some ways, although I guess, I, like, saying, like, no, you're not fat is, like, you know, kind of antiquated. But, yeah, like, it's, they they really treat the trans woman stuff as, like, very real and their love is very real and like not like disgusting other than like a few cops laughing which we already are primed to hate the cops yeah i mean honestly i think that is with all of these things i i i do feel like the movie maybe it is the documentary lens kind of that the one it's like shot i mean it's it's sydney lamette so like it feels very on the ground and feels very documentary style in a lot of ways it feels very real it doesn't feel like a hollywood movie it's shot on location like all of these things, even these moments that are like problematic, that it does not like, I would, I would actually like make a pretty vehement case that this movie is not problematic so much as it is depicting like realistic 
problematic views that people have in reality, like matter of factly, like even like when the race stuff is said, it feels like, oh, this doesn't, it never feels like the movie is making an argument or a judgment about these things. It feels like that is a realistic thing that that person at that time would have said, and that's fucked up, but that it doesn't feel like the movie's like, aha, good point, Leon, about the people of Algeria. Oh, good point, cop, about you know, the quote unquote Spanish, which is also just like that even term is, is off about what they're talking about. But even that feels like, oh, that's a cop in the seventies saying this, that like, it just feels very like the movie is presenting reality in this way that feels unvarnished. There's an extremely funny thing where they bring a limousine to take them to the airport. And there's this like groovy driver who's like really laying it on thick, a black guy. And then Sonny is immediately like, he's a cop. And he is a cop. And he is a cop. He's a cop. He was right. It's such a good scene. Sonny is so good at not being conned. He says it a million times that he doesn't Everybody's want to be Everybody's a con man. Don't con me. Yeah. So funny. The And then he's like, the white guy is the actual driver. Get in the car. So then I think like there was a lot of stuff online that I read about how he, what what tipped the guy, how he knew. And I think everything about that man tipped him. It was so over the top. It was the most narc undercover, hello, fellow kids. Yes, exactly. So then they get in the limo. I did notice at one point they're driving to JFK and someone yells, hey, maricon, which is the F slur in, I mean, I don't know. I say faggot on the show, whatever, but like, you know, that's- Yeah, I have a tattooed on my wrist, so. (laughs) Exactly, like, you know, yeah, so that, that- was a very like interesting little thing that they threw in. They get to the airport, they release Maria to, as a show of good faith. And then she tells Sal, don't be scared of flying on a plane. I know it's your first time flying on a plane. Don't be scared. Stockholm syndrome. It is, it is Stockholm syndrome. It's also like, I do think it's Stockholm syndrome. I also think it is that these, like for all the guns and the threatening, like I think they, the movie goes out of its way in some ways, I think, to show that they didn't want to hurt anybody, that that wasn't like that there was that they did kind of care for people. It feels very like it is Stockholm Syndrome for sure, because once the people are let go, there is like a trauma response. But there is there is something about like, I just it's such a sweet moment. I love that moment so much. It's kind of unclear if Sonny knows what's about to happen because he says, hey, th- we're hungry. Is there something on the plane for us? And the cop says, yes, hamburgers. And I feel like that would tip me off to be like, I don't feel like that's true. Yeah, I also, yeah. And then they get in the, the cop, the, the guy driving was a cop. And, he sh- and then they shoot Sal and Sal dies. And that reminded me a bit, interestingly, of Sal Mineo's performance in Rebel Without a Cause. When he gets shot, it made me think of that because it's just like this kind of innocent, not innocent, but like it feels like it feels unnecessary. Yeah, I think that's true. I do think Sal is weirdly presented, even though Sal early on does have a moment where he's like, I will kill these people. Like, like, uh, and like in a private moment with Pacino, it feels, and I don't know, it feels like Sal is being presented as slightly dim slightly childlike yeah in this way that like even in the drive to jfk the driver keeps saying like point the gun up because sal has a gun to the driver's head 
point the gun up. I don't want it going off when we go over a bump. And it's like a nice bit of foreshadowing that comes up a few times that basically like allows Sal to be killed. But Sal each time sort of does it immediately and a little like childlike, like as though being scolded. Sal's portrayal in this movie, Kazale's performance is, is very good and interesting and feels, for a character that doesn't feel like has a ton on the page, feels like has a lot of depth to that performance. Yeah, yeah. Part of the epilogue says, Leon Shermer is now a woman and living in NYC, which I thought was very respectful. I did too. I, I did too. I think it's, and I think only, I only feel more, res- like any qualms I had about the gender politics of like how this movie discussed Leon's character, I feel like I felt assuaged by, because here's the thing. It's very easy, I think, for trans, for us as trans people in 2023 to kind of take our current cultural norms about, you know, pronouns and gendering correctly and whatever. Things that I, you know, I know you and I both, you know, feel strongly about personally and about, you know, in the world and, you know, what what kindness looks like around those things and what etiquette and should be around those things. It's easy to take that and apply it to this. And I think on the other side, there's a lot of, I think, cis people who in bad faith will be like, you know, it was a different time. You just got to let it go. And I think what the documentary showed me was not just that it was a different time, but actually how different the gay and trans community used the, this language in the 70s. And meeting Leon, Leon's real life counterpart, Liz Eden, in the documentary, and not just meeting Liz in archival interviews, but meeting contemporaries of the Gay Action Alliance, is that what it's called? The GAA? Gay Activist Alliance? Meeting Liz's contemporaries, who were obviously very supportive and very like with her and like through the whole journey, and hearing the way that a lot of them interchangeably use pronouns and in a way that is not, and including Liz, by the way, in archival footage, interchangeably uses pronouns for herself in a way that doesn't feel like non-binary, but feels like who I was before. This is who I am now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it just, it feels dog to afternoon feels like a very respectful and accurate portrayal of how Liz herself referred to herself through this period in a way that I think is just very interesting. And also in a time capsule sense, I mean, watching the documentary, I was like, as somebody who's like fascinated by queer and trans history and like, obviously I was just like, I like, it was very profound. And actually like John becomes much more sunny in the movie, John in real life becomes, I feel like much more of a villain to me in real life. Yes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So, okay, now we watched the documentary, the 2013 documentary about John Wadowitz, the real man, called The Dog. And I want to talk about that for like, a, you know, a little bit, like 10, 10, 15 minutes. But basically, we meet him. He talks about how his vices, he doesn't have a lot of vices, but he is like kind of a sex addict. And he has everything this man says is the craziest thing I've ever heard. But he goes, when you got horns, you can only do one thing and that's fuck. And then he says he's a romantic. It's, it's. I don't know how we can describe this man. It's such a reminder that everyone is the main character of their own story. And that for some of us, that's like more literal than others because he, he is so absurd. I do think there are moments of sweetness in the documentary where you do see that he cared. I think the one thing I really want to talk about with him specifically in the documentary, well, first off, we turned off the documentary last night. I finished it this morning because watching it last night, my partner tapped out and was like, I can't because John aggressively misgenders Liz all the way. Like, in footage from like the late, I mean, I think John died in 2006, but like in the 2000s, there's footage of John, like, you know, spoiler, Liz died in the late 80s of AIDS related causes. But so John, many years post Liz's death is still sort of like- Going back and forth. Going back and forth, but also in a way that feels, that, 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 that actually does. And the way John talks about her you know, 20 years on, 30 years on, feels weirdly, like, I think, more disrespectful in a lot of ways. This felt so real to me. John falling in love with Liz under dead name and Liz wanting the surgery and John basically forbidding it and not wanting, and, like, that being a part of where, like, Liz's suicide attempts came from. At one point, he claims he didn't hurt her, and then at another point, it was like, I was do I there was a mercy moment where like maybe I was hurt like it's just like it's clear there was a fucked up thing there in a way that's vi- just feels remorseless to me I don't know yeah he definitely thinks he's the main character and with regardless of anyone else's feelings he says I have twenty three girlfriends and four wives he calls Angie or Carmen in real life his female wife she talks about how. He took her out with a couple other girls and then said, one of you will be my lucky bride in the future. And that was like their first date, which is nuts. Real son of a bitch. Like such a son of a bitch. (laughs) Then he talks about how he was a Goldwater conservative and a warmonger. And then he like came back and he was a peacenik after he came back from Vietnam. And oh, the story of his first sexual experience, gay sexual experience. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, talk about his gay military story. (laughs) He tells the story of, I was laying in bed and I was getting, I, I was having a dream where I was getting a blowjob. And then I woke up and this hillbilly, I forget what the name was, but it was like a very, Will, I think it was Wilbur. This hillbilly named Wilbur was actually blowing me. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, does it feel good? And I said, yeah. And so I, le- I told him to keep going. And from that point on, we kept going because Wilbur blew real good 
she was a real summer breeze, which I thought was, I do think is a tremendous expression. The way he talks is so funny. Like it's awful, but it's so funny. It is is very funny. There's so many quotes. Okay, so then we meet the Gay Activist Alliance, which formed after Stonewall. And their whole thing was, it's the key to equal rights is to come out. And then John kind of is like, gay rights was more sexually driven than politically driven. And then he has a great line. Anybody can be straight, but it takes somebody special to be gay. I love that so much. I feel like so often I had moments with John in this documentary where I was like, it was that thing of like the worst person, you know, just made a good point. Like, like he would say like four terrible things. And I'd be like, I fucking hate this guy. And then he would say something super profound and like incredibly like accurate about being gay or about, or like, just like, I don't know. I just, the, the, the way he talked about having a small dick, the way he talked, like, it's just like, there was something about, and that he, I do want to say, like, I have great respect. Like, he was on the front lines of the gay liberation movement in the 70s. He was at the gay marriage protests, like at the marriage, the marriage bureau, which they have, they have footage from that is fucking incredible footage. If you want to watch this documentary about it, it just like, for gay history purposes, they have so much incredible footage. It's wild. Like footage from like the dance parties at the GAA firehouse, footage from these protests at the time and like planning meetings. It's like a treasure trove of gay history stuff. Yeah, it's really great. And he's like, but he's complicated, right? Because he's both coming out and like being at the front of this, but he's using a fake name. And like, it's unclear how much of that using a fake name is for self-preservation purposes or how much of it is like gay identity. But there, it does feel like there's part of it that is like a little bit of shame because he, the way he talks about this era, it's like with this mix of pride and like he does describe it as a vice of his. Like it, do, it doesn't feel like it's like purely like this is who I am. Yeah. I mean, he tries to seem progressive. Like he goes to a park and he's saying that these statues that represent gay rights should should be are just white guys. They should be they should be different guys. They should be different races, which like, again, like, OK. Him describing it, though, I think is like actually like one of those moments where you're like documentary is better than fiction a lot of times because you couldn't write this. And it is so fucking brilliant. Him saying like people are mad about these statues because they're two white guys and a lot of like you know, black guys and Latino gay guys don't like them. Really, it should be, this guy should be black and this guy should be olive skinned. That way it could be like a Latino gay or an Italian gay or just a white gay with a tan. And I was like, this is so fucking funny. Like, it's so dumb, but also like there is like kind of a seed of like something where it's like he is describing like a more progressive version of these statues, but he's doing it in this way that is so ass backwards. It's just so funny. So then there's a marriage bureau protest with John. He goes by John Basso, John C. Bond, Vito Russo, and Steve Kratz. And these are real guys, real activists. You can look them up. And then they're calling, they're at the marriage bureau protesting and someone calls and the, and the guy says, Oh, these, do they want to get married? Are they gay? Well, sorry, we can't help you, which is very funny. Then we meet Elizabeth Eden. They talk about how they met when she was in semi-drag 
Then he would send, John would send roses all the time to Elizabeth Eden. And then she says he was very proud of me, which is interesting. I Their relationship I found in the documentary very interesting because again, obviously it does feel littered with abuse in a way that is, I think, all too common for trans women, especially especially with cis, you know, trans women with cis men, though certainly there's, you know, T for T shit out there too. But it feels very true, very like emblematic of that kind of relationship. But it also feels very loving in this way. Like what I want to say is like, it is abusive and that's shitty, but also I think it's really hard for non-trans folks and maybe even non-people who aren't trans women. I don't, I don't want to speak for the trans mask experience to like fully process what it feels like as a trans woman when a cis man like loves you and maybe and is obsessed with you and how validating that feels and what you're willing to put up with. And like, I have, I have certainly experienced it myself. Like I have so many friends who are some of the most beautiful trans women in the world who like the shit they put up with from, from straight cis men is like just horrifying where you're just like, but you like, it is intoxicating and it is validating and it is so fulfilling in so many ways. And I think it's so interesting the way Liz Eden talks about it, even after all of this, after all the shit that goes down, she talks about like knowing that he would go to his wife and knowing that like he would go fuck his wife, his, his female wife. And that like, they're like, well, why were you okay with it or something like that? And she's like, because he loved me and I would fight for him. Like, if I had to fight for him, I would fight for him. Yeah. And it's just I like, was like, I wrote that down being like, oh my God, goals, poly goals in a terrible way. But it was like, there's a lot of people who care for John. And if we have to fight over him, then we have to fight over him. And that's all there is to it. Yes. And I will say John does make, I do wonder how much of this, and like, I don't want to make excuses for him because I do think he he was a piece of shit in a lot of ways. I do wonder how much also, like we are all victims of a society that we live in. And like, we're all victimized by trying to fit into that society. And the way John discusses, especially early in the movie, the way John discusses how he views a lot of this stuff, pretty explicitly just like what we would now call Polly. Of like, he at one point says like, I can love multiple people. Like I have enough love or something. He says something like that. Like I have enough love for multiple people. I do, again, like this does not like, like understanding context for how abuse, how and why abuse occurs does not excuse that abuse. Like we are all, you know, responsible for our own actions. He's a piece of shit. So I don't want, I really don't want it to sound like I am excusing because I'm not, but I do think it's worth investigating why abuse like this happens. And I do think something where like, where you are told in so many ways that like your like quote unquote lifestyle is wrong that you are broken, that you are whatever, like that I do think is a seed of where a lot of abuse within the gay community comes from, where a lot of abuse in, I think like problems with masculinity is where a lot of abuse in lesbian, the lesbian community and like trans mask and navigating masculinity, navigating, like there's a lot of abuse in, in queer community that we don't talk about because we don't want cis people to look at it. And I think a lot of that comes from like navigating these structures poorly. And so I just think it is worth exploring. No, I mean, look, he says in the gay world, everyone wants to be the star, but there's only one star and that's me. <laughs> Why do I relate to this man? <laughs> I, 
I mean, I I wasn't gonna say it, Gabe, but like, <laughs> like, but yeah, no, I mean, I do think there's there's a truth to all that. And I also want to say about representation stuff and about where we are with trans rights right now and trans discourse in the culture. There's a a very exploitative. There's archival footage from a very exploitative daytime talk show that Liz Eden was on, where Liz Eden was like surprised, it seems, with a phone call like a satellite hookup to John in prison post. So like Liz at this point is like fully, and first off, Liz is gorgeous. Like the real Liz is so fucking beautiful, funny and stunning. And also Chris Sarandon was very good casting for early transition Liz. Like the, the, the look is right. The mannerisms are right. Like it's actually like in a way that I, makes me feel complicated now is like really good casting. Liz is on this talk show and the talk show host goes, you know, in 1972, what John Wadowitz robbed a bank, dog day afternoon, did it to pay for the surgery of, you know, misgenders. And it's like of the man that he was married to. But then is like the man who's married to, who has since had that sex change surgery and is living with a woman. This is Liz E living as a woman, and this is Liz Eden. And from that point on, I'm pretty sure, if I didn't miss it, the host refers to Liz as a woman the rest of the way through. And is actually, like, very, even in the the, the run-up to that, like, the telling that story, is super matter-of-fact about it. Like, is not, like, it's actually of the, like, kind of sensational things about that daytime talk show. It feels like the sensation is, like, you're going to see them talk to each other. It doesn't even really feel, like, It's wild in 2023 to see like a mainstream daytime talk show talk about trans people like so matter of factly. It's like now it's living as a woman. Yeah, rather than being like Janet Mock, are you how do you have a surgery? Do you have the surgery or whatever was happening in like, you know, I don't know, eight years ago, whatever. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, like Candace Kane getting asked on The View and then years later, Laverne being asked on The View, like until Laverne kind of like none of that is here. Now, granted, they know she had a surgery, but like it is very it is very like taken at face value. Like this person is living as a woman now. They are a woman is like sort of assumed like by all involved. There's no question of the legitimacy of that of that like choice or that, you know, identity. It's just everybody's sort of like, yep, that's what it is. And while no, granted, like later they show, you know, newspaper headlines from tabloids that put wife in quotes and shit. And like, so it's not, I'm not saying it was all rainbows and gumdrops. Like it wasn't, but it is, it is notable how lack of discoursey any of this is at the time. She says that she misses him. And then there's a very funny thing where John says, I don't know why I love her so much. He's lousy in bed. He's literally one of the worst. And she dies laughing. She finds that extremely funny. Yeah, it is a great, it is a great moment. Like one of the worst I've been with in bed is like, yeah, it's, but even then, like by that point, John's misgendering has become this thing that feels, feels indicative of character and or like not indicative of not character, but indicative of a really complicated feeling of like, I do believe John loved Liz. And I do believe that John at least partially robbed the bank to pay for Liz. Like, I do think that was in the calculus. And I think there's something very interesting that John, like in telling the story, you know, in retrospect, the real person talks about how he didn't want 
dead name to have the surgery. And they fought about it a lot. I was interested in a guy with big tits and a little dick. Yes. That's what he said. I was said. interested in a guy. And like, look, you know, if you just say girl, who among us isn't? But it is interesting in the way that like, it's clearly fetishizing, but it's also like, there's love there. And that the idea that like, ultimately, there is like ultimate chaser vibes. That, like, the idea of I want to keep you as this kind of preoperative trans woman is something that, like, so many trans women I know have gone through. They show that on Pose with Christopher Maloney's character. Absolutely. And, like, it's such a common thing. And that that ultimately led to John wanting to help pay for the surgery because he wanted Liz to be happy and wanted Liz to, like, survive. Like, at one point, John says, I did it to save your life. Because the implication being you would have killed yourself otherwise. And I think there's something very profound about that in with what we're talking about, like in general, one, the cost of gender affirming care, but also the bans on gender affirming care. I just was like struck by. I mean, he says, imagine your wife was dying of cancer. You would rob a bank for her. Yeah. And it. It's taken very seriously. And again, it's the worst person you know. The worst person you know is making some <laughs> profoundly good points. <laughs> he actually, we see that he actually made out with this guy, Patsy, who came and brought him some stuff. So he did actually make out with a guy in front of the crowd chanting queer and fag. So he really did do that. Showman, a showman always. It, it wasn't Elizabeth, but he did make out with a guy in front of the crowd. Then he says, I'm the gay babe Ruth. I won. Dead name got the sex change. Dead name lived. Dead name was happy. Dead name survived. And I'm happy for that. And then the gay alliance stops claiming him. And then there is this, which is so accurate. And then there is this part with Elizabeth Eden where she says, I'm a transsexual. I have to raise the money, you know. And then she says, I think he's bisexual. She says that about him. And then she says he's he is bisexual because he wouldn't continue to be interested in me after the operation if he wasn't. He says she wanted him to make the movie so she could get the sex change. So it ended up actually being he didn't make enough money from the robbery or any money from the robbery, but he made money from the movie. And then from the movie, he gave her the money to get a sex change. And then she immediately dumps him, which is iconic. Fucking iconic. I love her so much. Yeah, iconic. He marries another guy in jail. They said he loves to be married. He had to have a wife. Then it would be like Polly goals where the wife would come and visit him. Carmen, the real one, would come and visit him. And then George would like wave to her like they kind of had a friendly relationship, which is truly hilarious. George is also interesting, at least from the footage. There's a gender. I think George, uh, it's interesting. Some sort of fluid something with George. There, yeah, there's George has some femme, not not George has some like trans femme energy, we'll say. Like, there's lots of it's like long hair and big lips and very femme affect and feels very much like Liz. Yeah, there's definitely in some ways. Yeah. So then, you know, the hostages are upset because he's a celebrity and he's making money on an ordeal he put a lot of people through, which is the thing, right? He's the main character always. So then I you alluded to this, but there's this like magazine covers with Elizabeth Eden, that one that I thought I said the TS that caused Dog Day Afternoon, which is like the transsexual that caused Dog Day Afternoon. I was dying. I love it. As a as a you know, that's that's the word I use for myself too. I love being a transsexual. And we can say it, you can't. Yeah. 
Exactly. And then he passes away of cancer in 2006. He was only 60 years old. We can't even sum up this documentary. You just have to watch it yourself because it's... It is a great documentary. It is... It's so wild. It is hard to watch, especially, I I will say, like, it was definitely hard. You have to sort of, uh, like, as a trans woman, it was very hard to hear the way John talked about Liz, but I'm glad I watched it. It was very fascinating. And it's worth it for Liz and for the history stuff. And because John's super interesting, even though, and that he's a son of a He has no filter and he's the worst. Okay, so to wrap up, what what is your takeaway from all of this? God, well, as somebody who's having trans, I mean, both of us have had surgeries. I was shocked how little has changed in terms of the way people talk about it. Like in terms of the way like the trans character talks about wanting the surgery and stuff like that all and like needing to raise the money. And like, you know, thankfully I will say thanks to my girlfriend, Eleanor Jean, great TV writer who led the charge on this. The Writers Guild of America now covers trans surgeries. I thankfully, or we will, you know, maybe not have to raise the money, but it's, yeah, I, I was struck by like the problems are the same. Like it's it's expensive. It's gotten way more expensive now than it was then, obviously. Like beyond inflationary expensive. It was twenty seven hundred or twenty five hundred dollars at the time. And I think bottom surgery for a trans woman right now is like in the, you know, high five, low six digits at times, depending on who you go to. Granted, it's covered by a lot of state health insurance. So if you're on Obamacare, like there's a good chance the bottom surgery is covered for you, granted with lots of hoops to jump through. Yeah, it looks like it would be $17,000 today is the inflation. Well, so se- yeah, so that's what the inflation, yeah. So 17000 would be the inflation and it's like many times that, you know, to do it. So I definitely was struck by that. I was honestly struck by this is a movie I've always loved, but haven't watched in years. And I think has weirdly grown in my estimation since I think it's the only piece of trans adjacent content seen since transitioning that I like more now than I liked before I transitioned. Like it's, I think it's probably entered like my, my kind of all time favorite top five movies. Like I, I was sort of blown away last night by rewatching it. Oh, I just love it. I love Pacino so much. I love him so much. Incredible. Incredible. Short King energy kind of, I mean, to be real, a little bit trans mask energy in in Dog Day Afternoon. And the way he stands and stuff. I, yeah, it's definitely a, a a trans mask energy on that guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, into, I'm into him so much in right? this movie. Well, okay, so where can people find you and follow you and find out more about you? Find me on Jacqueline P. Moore on all of the socials, Twitter, Instagram, J-A-C-L-Y-N-P-M-O-O-R-E. And you can find me on the picket line, usually at Netflix for the Writers Guild of America. Thank you so much. I'm so, I love this movie. I'm so, and, and, and this is uh, another chapter in our bank robbing movie series that no one wanted, but I'm doing. Hey, funding trans healthcare is expensive. And if that's not a topic for bad with money, I don't know what is. (laughs) Thank you. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual, produced by Melissa D. Monts and Diamond M. Print Productions, edited by Diane King, post-production sound by Coco Lorenz, and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.